all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, y'all can take a seat. Well, welcome. Welcome to Table Life Church. We are glad you're here with us. And um, uh, Pastor Becky is ready to take any children that uh, would like to participate in the children's ministry at the kids' table this morning. Some awesome stories planned in our godly play curriculum. So they will go back and visit with Pastor Becky and friends. And um, well, first off, I just want to thank everybody personally that came out to our work day yesterday here at the church. Uh, it was just great to see so many faces. And as you can see, our, our tree is nicely pared down in front. We have sparkling windows that you can see in and out of. We have lots of invasive species plants that were ripped out of the playground and around the property. So thank you to everybody. Um, things are organized now. We're just so grateful. We have other opportunities for you to take part in in our congregation. So, um, so just thank you for that. And so today is a um, day that we are wrapping up our open table sermon series. And depending on where you sit with that, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, whether worshiping online or here in person, we this is our seventh week of this series. So you may be in a place of awe. Like, I like this. This is like good. It's like going through the Gospels and stuff. And Or you might be in a place of good riddance. I'm glad to move on to something new. Well, wherever you find yourself, I am glad that you are here. And we are wrapping that up today. And so over these last seven weeks, we've been unpacking the big theme of Jesus around tables. All right, Jesus around tables, specifically in the Gospel of Luke. All these table stories and really emphasizing the importance of tables, tables in our lives, as well as what Jesus has done. And as part of this series, a couple weeks ago, we raised what we called the October Challenge. And this was a challenge to you to uh, gather around a table once a week with your family or others or friends, screenless, deviceless, like you put your phones and things away, and also spend five minutes a day, at least five minutes with the Lord reading scripture, in prayer, listening to worship music, and attending worship weekly. And I hope that you've uh, maybe tried to do some of those things. It's a good way to get back into practice and really uh, emphasize your relationship with God throughout the week. And, um, and so that was kind of a part of this series that we've been talking about. But, um, but for today's story, for today's story in the scripture, um, I want to start out as we've been in this series with a question for you. The question is, when you are on a road trip, where do you stop and eat? Think about that for a second. Do you have a road trip favorite or a go-to? You see that exit on the left side that you need to get off of and you need to go there. Uh, and I realized, while answering this question for myself, I've realized that there are basically two types of people on road trips. Two types. The first, those of us who are intent on getting there ASAP. Right? Can I get an amen to that? You are getting there, right? You got point A to point B, four-hour drive, whatever it might be, you are getting there. And we tend to stop to places like the drive-through, right? Who's going to be less than five minutes on that road? And kids, you better be eaten in the car, right? You got stains in your seats because everybody, like, we are not stopping. Like, you know, driver, you're eating like this, like you're in your sandwich. You know, everybody kind of keeps going or drinking through your straw. Um, and, and those of us that, I would say that's probably more like me. Um, we don't understand why there's such thing as Cracker Barrel. Like, like, why on earth would you stop for an hour on your road trip 
like to eat together around a table. Like you got places to go, things to do. We got to get there, right? Um, but fortunately, not everybody out there is like me. And there's some of you here. Uh, the second group is the cruisers, right? You get there when you get there. If it's today, it's today. If not, there's a place to stay on the way. And you're the Cracker Barrel people. You'll be like, well, we'll stay for two hours in our break, and we'll take our time, right? Well, no matter where you are on that spectrum, um, this morning's passage is about a table on the road, a table on the road, and sharing a meal on a road trip. And it takes place after Jesus had been crucified, after he had been buried. And as we know, because we kind of know the end of the story to this, we know it's post-resurrection, but not everybody does. So this is a passage from Luke chapter 24, uh, verses, we're going to be reading verses 13 through 35. It's a little bit of a story, a little longer than usual, so bear with me, but listen to these words, which are also printed in your program if you'd like to follow along that way or on the screen. So Luke tells us this. Now that same day, same day of Jesus being seen but not seen, um, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened as they talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and they told us they had seen a vision of angels. Yeah, right, saying he was alive. But then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are. How so to believe all the prophets have spoken? Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter in his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And so when, when he was at the table with them, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, and broke it, and began to give it to them. Then then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, where they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way. And how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. The word of God for the people of God. 
So over the past two weeks, we've been unpacking this gospel of Luke, this theme of Jesus around tables, and we've seen how some of the meals were incredibly controversial, right? It was because of who Jesus dined with. That at that time, we talked about how Jesus was supposed to be dining with people who were kind of in a social class above himself or maybe the equal social class. But here he is dining with sinners. He's dealing with people that that this woman who pours perfume on his feet, he welcomes her into his house. He's then dining with tax collectors. Like it was very, very controversial. But we've also seen that many people's lives were transformed around those tables, From Levi to that woman who anointed his feet to Mary and Martha to the disciples themselves when they've seen the miracle of him feeding 5,000 plus people. But the thing is, nobody, nobody really recognized what Jesus was doing until later. It wasn't until later that people recognized, those involved around those tables, recognized what Jesus was really doing all along. So I want you to hold on to that thought for a couple minutes. Because over this series, we've been talking about these three types of tables in the scriptures, but also in our lives, where Jesus tends to show up. And, and these are different tables, one being kind of this, this considered a sacred table, the Lord's Supper we share in church together, uh, all the way to our homes and then into places like in the community, to tables that we would consider probably pretty secular, right? People maybe that aren't believers sharing in a meal together. And, and as we've been talking in this series, we've been talking about how there is no boundary in God's eyes. There is no boundary between what is sacred and what is secular. That God is not limited by where a table is or who is there. Instead, Christ is present throughout. Christ is present throughout, that it's not just like, oh, well, we do our church thing and Jesus shows up and he's only here. No, our home table can be just as holy, even as a table that we share as a guest and we join in as a guest. God's not limited. But you know what makes these tables holy? You know what makes these tables holy or sacred? It's actually naming and knowing Christ's presence. See, he may be present in these different places. He may be present in the tables in our daily lives. But do we see him? Do we recognize him? Do we notice him? See, the big idea here, that this this can be really life-changing when you take this seriously, is that every table has the capacity to turn into what we call a recipient's table. Every table has the capacity to turn into a holy table where Jesus is present and working in our lives. But how do we do that? We have to recognize that Christ is present. And it's same as being in the life of faith, same as living a life of faith. See, in our stories, if I had to ask you, if pick a random person, I'm not going to do that, but pick a random person here and said, here, come up and share your story with us. It, it would probably be time and time again. God did not suddenly jump into your life, but rather there was a time that you probably had your eyes opened to God's presence in your life. And that's the same throughout, that we realize where he is, who he is, and what he's been doing all along. And we name him. We name his presence. And that's, that's what happens really in this story on the road to Emmaus. So it's a turning point in Luke's gospel. It's a turning point because 
Luke 24 occurs on what we usually celebrate as Easter, Easter Sunday. And and those of us who have read ahead or been in church on Easter, we know that Jesus rose from the dead. And we see what happens after that. But we have to imagine, if you were a disciple here, you didn't know that. You're in the middle of it. It's still like game over, right? Game over. Nobody, you know, there was nobody waiting at the tomb, like counting down like three days, you know, the, the whole like, the, what is it, the, the um, ball dropping in Times Square, you know, it's five, four, three. Two, there, nobody was doing that at the tomb. They thought it was over. Jesus died and he was buried. That's it. So you imagine if you were a disciple of Jesus at this time, there's got to be mass confusion when Jesus' body disappears. Your first thought is not a resurrection. It's a, some kind of disappearance or stealing. Nobody, nobody was expecting a resurrection. Nobody. Nobody had seen Jesus. But then we're told a story where Jesus does appear. This is the first time in Luke's version of the story. See, it's interesting where Jesus does appear. He picks up where he left off. And where does he show up? Does he show up in a prayer meeting? Does he show up in a worship service or the synagogue? Does he show up in anything that's considered like holy in our radar? Well, the first place we see him in this story is a road and a table. Very, very normal, weird things that happen in everyday life. A very Jesus-y thing to do. And nobody expects him there. Nobody recognizes him at first. So our question is today, how do they and how do we come to recognize Jesus in these different places in our lives? How do we recognize Jesus' presence? Well, the first part is stop running away. You got to stop running away. So question for you, and you know the answer to this, are you running away? Are you running away from something? Are you running away from God? Are you running away? Because when things don't go as expected, Jesus' followers do exactly that. Isn't that true in our lives? When things don't go as expected, we want to run away. We want to get away from them. Well, that's what Jesus' followers do. And we're told of this couple, Cleopas, and we're assuming in this case it's probably his wife. Other scholars say maybe it was a friend, another disciple. Um, These were kind of the B-team disciples. They're not one of the 12. They're kind of on the periphery, but we know that they're followers of Jesus. And we know from the story that they were super troubled. They were super troubled because they were wrestling with everything they had witnessed. And now there's reports coming in that his body is gone, their hope had been dashed. They said, like, they hoped that he was the Messiah here to save us. And they lost their faith. They lost their faith. They're running away from it all. They're going home. And Luke tells us this is not like a, just a little like mile jaunt around the neighborhood. This is a seven-mile walk. This is a pretty long way. And it's not just chit-chat that they're talking about. The Greek word that Luke uses here is saizetsin. Saizetsin, which means a debate this is heated discussion. Think, think politics at Thanksgiving. That's the level of discussion, the heated debate that's going on here between them. But they're running away because they can't control the situation. But then Jesus, Jesus shows up. 
He shows up and he starts walking with them and we see him. But remember, they didn't see him. They weren't expecting him. They weren't even looking for him. And verse 16 says this, but they were kept from recognizing him. And I'm doing some research here. This is really not a good translation of what um, Luke actually wrote here in the Greek. It's kind of less awkward putting it in our, our language. Literally, it says, but the eyes of them were not held to know him. The eyes of them were not held to know him. Have you ever run from God? Have you ever run away because something changed and you didn't know what to do with it? Have you ever run away from a situation because you didn't know what to do? Have you ever run away? Because I have. I've run away. When I faced a dark time in my life when I had lost several friends and relatives who had passed away unexpectedly, one to suicide. And those of you who know me know that I'm a runner and that was a time in my life I was literally running in college and I started running a lot, literally, like doing ultra marathons and running, 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 doing these 50K, 50-mile 50 races that I was really good at, and I won. But part of it was I was running from God. I was running from God. I was in a difficult place. And when we're running, it's difficult to see what God is doing around us because we're moving so fast. And you may be in the same place or have been. Maybe not literally marathoning. Maybe you've never run a marathon or have no wish at all in your life to even run a 5K. But you're running. You're driven. You're trying to go away. But have you ever asked yourself why? Why? Because like the disciples, sometimes we run because we believe God is dead. But other times we run because we're afraid we might actually see him. And that's why to recognize Jesus, we also need to start using a new lens. We need to stop long enough to stop, run, stop running, stop long enough, but we need to start using a new lens to view the tables and circumstances and situations in our lives. If you've ever had a cataract or maybe had not seen the eye doctor for many of years, you know the power of a lens. You know, most people um, go around living everyday life, you know, you're driving and whatnot, you're like, my eyes are fine. You know, if you ever said that, maybe your child said it, like, my eyes are fine. And they like took them to the eye doctor or the place to get the cataract removed. And then what happened after you either got the glasses or you got that surgery? You're like, wow, oh my gosh, I can see, right? I didn't realize I couldn't see, ha ha, you know, and I was driving out there. That's really safe, right? Um, but you, right, you, you didn't know it. You didn't know what you couldn't see because you just didn't realize it. You needed a new lens. See, this couple in the story, they grew up religious. They heard the Hebrew scriptures. They learned them. They wrestled with them. And now they struggled about what it meant in light of their time following Jesus. Have you ever wrestled with the Bible? I have. Have you ever wrestled with the Bible? You've read through things. You're like, this makes no sense. I just want to put this down. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, raise of hands. Show of hands. Have you ever wrestled with the Bible? Those of you who aren't sticking your hands up, guess what? You're preaching next week. <laughs> we got you signed up. Yes. But we do. And if you don't, there's something probably, you probably maybe haven't read enough of it. That they wrestled, they wrestled with the Bible. They wrestled with the Bible. They wrestled with the Hebrew scriptures they had. But what does Jesus do? He meets them 
there. He engages this kind of slow walk, a conversation over the journey. And he reveals to them, he gives them a new lens to see the scriptures with. Telling them how he himself is really the climax of all the scriptures. And this means something for us as well. See, for us to study the Bible and to not see Jesus as the main point is to totally miss the meaning of all the scriptures. We have to view scripture through the lens of Jesus or else it's not going to make sense. So I want, for a second, I want you to think back to middle school English class. Middle school English class when you were first uh, introduced to Shakespeare. You remember those days are handed like, here, read this, right? Reading Shakespeare, no, you had no clue, right? You like open it up, you're like reading this old English and, and had no idea. You know, you had to be a little bit older to start understanding it. And then in high school, I remember this. In high school, you're handed Macbeth. And I remember having an amazing English teacher in high school. And I had no clue until she interpreted it for us. And then it was like, boom, oh my gosh. I can't believe what I'm reading. This is really funny stuff. Oh my gosh, this is really intense. That you were amazed. It was like your eyes were open. You were given new lenses. And I think of that when I hear this story and these disciples with Jesus. See, they they started seeing Jesus in places in Scripture that they hadn't before. All the things the prophets had discussed. It's kind of like that light bulb moment went on. They started to be like, wow, I never noticed that before. And you know what I also love about this? Is they did it together. They did it together. It's important to allow someone else to help us to see maybe what we've been missing. So a number of years ago, there was a picture going around on the internet. As many pictures go around on the internet. But this is one that is said uh, to be, it it had been presented in China um, to determine who was a real follower of Jesus. There were missionaries in China, and they were kind of trying to figure out who was a follower of Jesus and who wasn't. And it was kind of a mysterious way to figure out who was. I don't know how true the story is, but anyway, this is still on the internet. It's a picture of Jesus, called Jesus in the Snow. Great name for it. I call him Snow Jesus, right? It's like, let it go. You know, should be in Frozen. But, but it's a picture, if you look, you can see Jesus. Do you see him? Can you make him out? Or does it just look like a pile of snow? You look harder. You look around for an outline. will determine who the real followers of Jesus are. No, just kidding here. But if you look closely, or if I give you a little bit of help... I'm going to put that other slide up there, Judy. You can see him. You can see him here. You can flip back for a second. Do you see him now? Do you see him now? It's interesting because it's, it's like you can't unsee him. Here, flip back again to the snow scene. Once you see him, you can't unsee him. Once you see him, you can't unsee him. See, people will try to give different lenses to you. The world will try to give you different lenses, lenses of despair and of fear and hopelessness, negativity. But you have to look and examine. And just like this, looking at this picture, you have to ask the question, where are you, Jesus? I know you're here. Where are you at this table, Jesus? Give me eyes to see and ears to hear you. Reveal yourself to me. Reveal yourself to us. It's asking the question, Jesus, 
where are you in this conflict around this table? Jesus, where are you in this neighborhood? Help me to see it. Lord, help me to see you. Where are you in this diagnosis? Lord, where are you in this situation? Help me to see. But a part I want to add here that's important is knowing when we're ready. When we're ready to see. When we're actually looking, but we're also ready to see. Because if you look and you pray and you sit, there will be a time that you'll see his fingerprints. And that's another way that we recognize Jesus, is that we look for his fingerprints. Because if we believe that there is no boundary between the sacred and secular, if we know that, that the tables of our lives, there can be a sense of Jesus' presence at all of them, then his fingerprints are there. So after their conversation, the disciples, these two disciples, they reach Emmaus with Jesus in tow, And, of course, they invite him to stay. It's interesting because they desire to host Jesus. They want to be the host here, that host table. But then verses 30 and 31 tell us this. When he was at the table with them, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. See, The tables got flipped. They went from being the host to then being the recipient. See, Jesus becomes the host when we allow him. He reconciles them. Think about it. Think about this. Jesus revealed himself to these two disciples, the ones that were on their way away from Jerusalem. The rest are all still in Jerusalem, by the way. These were the ones that were on their way, that had lost their faith, that wrestled with what was going on. Yet Jesus meets them in the road, even as they're running away. He shows up with those who are struggling. He shows up with those who believe that they have been abandoned. And he reminds us, though, that the strength of our faith is not dependent on us, but on the object of our faith, Jesus Christ. And he meets us there. See, Jesus' fingerprints show up often in, in small ways, ways that you would oversee if you're running through. Things like hope, things like forgiveness, things like friendship, things like wholeness. And I have to say this, often our default is to see the negative first. You know, when you enter into somebody else's life or story or an, even a neighborhood, uh, you know, often we go to places and the first thing is what we see is wrong, right? We see there, she got something wrong with her, right? This place, oh, there's, I can't believe that. We see everything wrong. We see what's lacking or what these people don't have. But we need to look for what is there. That's the fingerprints of Christ, where Jesus is present. Where is their love? Where is there a sense of of hope, forgiveness, friendship, wholeness? Look for his fingerprints because they're there. They're there. And the disciples, they recognize his fingerprints when he breaks that bread, just as he did on that night before he gave himself up for us. But the disciples don't stop there. See, the last part when we recognize Jesus' presence is that we share what we've seen. See, they recognize Jesus at that table, and then Jesus, poof, disappears. They don't know. And what do they do? 
It's interesting, they didn't just go like, yay, we saw Jesus, he's alive, and then let's stay in Emmaus, we're happy, like kumbaya, this is going to be awesome. They didn't do that, right? It's interesting. Instead, they became witnesses to the risen Christ. They hit the road, and they turn around, and my interpretation of the story, I'm always wondering, did somebody eat the food, right? Did somebody eat it? Like they prepared this whole meal and then everybody just like leaves. It's, I hope the food didn't go to waste. That's what I'm thinking. But, but so fast, propelled them right back to Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem is into the fray and into the chaos and into the risk, the things that they had run away from. Because who knows, would they be crucified next? Nobody knew that. But they're there to share good news. See, every neighborhood, every meeting place, every table has the capacity to be a stream of antagonistic, broken relationships. But when we tend to Christ's presence there, we sit in compassion, often in silence. We listen, and we offer reconciliation. And we might share what we have seen. See, when we're a guest, maybe with, at a table that there's not a sense of faith there or, you know, you're having a hard time seeing Jesus' presence, when we sit and we're, we see ourselves as the guest, not as the teacher, but as the student of our setting, and we listen, we're involved, we build relationships with people, we're the ones that can allow him to enter into somebody else's story, to say, you know, I believe I've wronged you if it's in the midst of a conflict, to be the one that admits, hey, you know what, I'm sorry, I was totally wrong. Sharing what you've seen, that there can be reconciliation. Sometimes it is, it's naming what you see. You know, it might not be handing somebody a gospel track and say, here, read this. I don't see that being very relational, especially these days, right? It's naming what you see. It's hearing someone's pain or story and saying something like, as with me, I believe God is at work in your life. Seeing what that response is. I see God's hand on you. Uh, This, interesting enough, happened to me this past week. I was um, on a a Zoom call with some of the colleagues I work with um, around the country and and in Canada, actually. And um, this one gentleman, um, I've known probably for about like, 10 years or so, um, and of course, on and off. He's actually up in Ontario right now serving at a church up there. And I remember the first time I met him, he was in a really, really dark place. He actually just had a nervous breakdown. He was a pastor of a three-year-old church plant, had a nervous breakdown, had to step out of ministry, was really just a broken person. And I remember he shared at this event and just shared his heart, and I just remember just seeing the pain in his face. Well, as I was talking with him this week, he was a totally different person. I just like had that moment in my heart, like to say something. I'm like, this could be really weird. Like, I don't want to do that, you know. But I, I felt like I needed to tell him, you know what? I, I feel like God's just put in my heart just to say that you're a different person. There's a sense of resurrection, and I, I feel like God has brought you healing. And he like looked at me over as much as you can over Zoom, and, and just said, "Thank you so much for that." He said, I don't always see it or recognize it, but it helps that others have recognized and seen the change and, and, and what God has done and the healing that he has brought me over these years. See, we can share what we've seen. We can share what we see in someone. It's about living on purpose. 
Acting on purpose. That's a good question. Do you live on purpose or do you just kind of float from day to day to day? Do you do things on purpose to say, you know what? When I go to the grocery store, I'm not just going to pick up items, but I'm going to see what God is doing there. And maybe it might be a smile. It may be handing somebody a you know, $5 bill to pay for their, their uh, groceries in, in front of me. It may, be, it may be just pausing and seeing a neighbor, just availing ourselves and saying, I want to live on purpose for a purpose. Because the moral of the story here is, guys, any table can turn into Christ's table. Any table. Any table. From the most, the most sacred here, to the most broken and dark table you can imagine. It's just a matter of recognizing him, recognizing him. See, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, as we do here every week, we often come to the phrase, give us today our daily bread. Well, this is not that just that God would provide our needs, but also that Jesus will be revealed to us on a daily basis. Luke says they invite him in. Do you? Do you invite him into your life, into your day, into your schedule, into your family, into your table? Have you been doing it by yourself? Because at the table, he takes bread. He's always taking over. Jesus takes over conversations. He takes over tables. He takes over lives, and he makes them more, and he multiplies them. He's supposed to be the visitor, but he shows up and he becomes the host and he takes bread and he breaks bread just like he was broken and he makes it a blessing. And when he gives the bread to those with him, their eyes were opened. He was already there. They just hadn't seen him. Their eyes were opened. That gives us new meaning and purpose and a new idea about what this is that we celebrate when we celebrate it, wherever we celebrate it, a sense of being open. Are you open to what God has? Are you open to his presence? Will you open your table? That's where we arrive this morning, a sense of openness, a sense of grace. And I just want to take a minute, take a few seconds here just to pause. And as we come before God this morning, that we would just confess in our hearts the way